Blade Runner covers a lot of adult themes, so so will we. Parental discretion is advised. Wake up. Time to die. Welcome to another episode of Sci-Fi Nomads. I'm Dustin. I'm Lauren. And we're joined today with, by uh, Wesley what? from uh, Atheist Nomads. Here? What the hell? Why am I here? What? <laughs> we pulled him from the void. <laughs> we just keep him in a jar and let him out once in a while. <laughs> like every week on the other show. Yeah, yeah, he's allowed once a week. And these are like his free days. Nice. All right, so this week... Uh, so Wesley, my pet. I am sorry we didn't get anything out in November. Oh, man, what a crazy month. I was sick all the time. Yeah, yeah. And we were already planning on doing this one with, with Wesley, and then the weekend that it was looking like we'd be able to do it, um, I messaged Wesley and then never got a reply. Oh, shit. <laughs> And I am willing to bet that Wesley never got the message. Probably. It's possible. <laughs> you know uh, how those they get lost in the ether? Now, Wesley, one thing I do need to let you know is this is a uh, like radio clean show. <gasps> so not explicit. I will do my best. And so it's dangerous that I'm going to be doing a sh- Oh, wait. If, if you're actually going for radio, you can't talk about alcohol. Okay, so... I will do my best. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yep, yep. All right, uh, so... It's Rebel Yell Root Beer. I'm not supposed to talk about it. Whiskey. Shh. Okay, you can't drink on the radio. That's different, though. Because we're on in the radio. No, we're not. I don't know what radio rules are. <laughs> Ooh, he sucked it down. Whoa. Well, I am actually drinking Barks. So. Oh, well, cheers. Yeah. Wow, mm. this is... Let me. It's okay. Definitely smells like a hard root beer. Uh huh. It tastes like root beer, but there's oh bourbon aftertaste. Oh god, no! I had a cut on my lip. Ooh. <laughs> that I was previously unaware of. Wow, that's warm going down, isn't it? Root beer with a bourbon aftertaste. That's weird. Well, my barks has like a barks aftertaste. So barks, barks has bite. Bite. Yeah, that's right. All right, well, this is actually not relevant to our, our No, topic. no. <laughs> Wesley, would you like to introduce the movie that we are doing? Oh, my goodness. Um, I would like to say up front that this movie that we watched, uh, I only watched one version. There's actually seven. The movie <laughs> is Blade Runner. Yeah. Is that because Ridley Scott just uh, can't couldn't focus on uh, one well, wasn't enough? <laughs> when it first got released, uh, there there was a lot of studio control, and he definitely did not get to put the, the version out that he wanted. So, yeah, what actually hit the screens in, was 82? It was definitely nothing like uh, what he wanted to release, and there was actually a director's cut, which hmm. is the the version that I, I watched. That's the version couple, that's on Netflix, times. correct? Thank you, I Netflix. No. It's not on Netflix. That was our copy. Um, yeah, so... I, but I bought apparently, this a few years ago. Yeah, the director's cut is considered really Scott's... Um, his favorite movie that he did. He said this is closest to his own vision that that of all the movies that he's done. Nice. Pretty cool. It's like, hey, he likes it. The novelist who wrote the 
the book it was based on liked it. So that's too bad the audiences didn't. <laughs> so just well, quick, yeah, definitely not at the time. <laughs> quick not background. Even, uh, uh, Blade Runner is a 1982 Ridley Scott film based on the 1968 Philip K. Dick novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Mm. It is... Um, Philip K. Dick is also known famously for Minority Report and a couple other very good sci-fis um, that have been uh, done in some excellent movies. Yeah, okay. For that time period, Philip K. Dick and Elmore Leonard are my two favorite authors who so, also get movies made of their stuffs. And since you mentioned uh, Minority Report, that is one where, where I have uh, was in the distinctly strange position of watching it two weeks after release... And then a month later, seeing it on opening weekend. Oh, you got to see it before it. <laughs> no, I saw it in the theater in Grants Pass. Okay. And then, that's in Southern Oregon, for those of you who don't know where that Oregon. is. Oregon. And then I went on the International Air Cadet Exchange to Britain. Oh. And saw it in the theater there, opening weekend. Oh, got a little <laughs> bit of a delay there. That's yeah, cool. I was seven or 18... Adventist teetotaler and one of the few who wanted to do something other than go to the pub. So we all went to see a movie. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so the Phil K. Dick novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, is um, it's a long title, <laughs> but it brings up some awesome uh, themes that you will see throughout sci-fi. Uh, unfortunately, Blade Runner <laughs> is only loosely based on Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Um <clears throat> I read the book years and years and years ago and remember going, well, that's not like the movie I saw. Oh. <laughs> that's because uh, they kind of took it and ran with it. Well, they took an idea from the book and made a movie. Yes. Would be more accurate. Unfortunately, probably. there was no sheep in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, instead, what you get is an image of Data from Star Trek dreaming about Borg sheep. <laughs> At least that's what I think of anyway. Somebody yeah, did a definitely no that. sheep, but definitely some dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. There are bioengineered beings with short lifespans, uh, and their nemeses are the Blade Runners, who are government agents that retire slash kill uh, the illegal replicants. The replicants are these cyborgs, and uh, most of them live off-world. They're not allowed to go back to Earth. If they go back to Earth, these Blade Runners kill them. Um, the most advanced of these... Uh, Androids are the Nexus 6 model models that are nearly perfect, very humanoid, and could actually start to develop their own memories and emotions over time. So Tyrell Corporation, the corporation that invented them, put in a little safety switch, and mm-hmm. they only have a lifespan of four years. Yeah. Yeah, the thing is, you can't tell them, tell them apart from real humans. Without doing a very extensive test. Yes, yeah, I mean, physically, they're, they're human. So the empathy test basically asks some uh, very emotional uh, questions and see and measure their emotional response. Now these Nexus sixes can get away with a lot of questioning, mm-hmm. apparently. Now by 2019, the replicants are rebelling from their off-world slave labor. They've already been banned on Earth, and Harrison Ford stars as Deckard, an agent brought back from retirement to track down four Nexus six model replicants. Again, their lifespans are only four years long, but these rogue replicants have returned to Earth to try to extend their lifetimes via the inventor at Tyrell Corporation. Deckard goes to Tyrell and meets his niece, an experimental replicant with memories of Tyrell's real niece implanted. 
Please give her a better ability to defeat the empathy test, a test meant to emi- to measure emotional response. Love it for Cyborg. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so she introduces this wild card where uh, there's a replicant who doesn't know she's a replicant. And he immediately is, like, avid for her. Now, when I... The first time I watched this was when I was in college. It was for my Christian ethics class um, when I was a, a theology major. And we watched it in the evening in a classroom. There was a glare on the screen. It was an old CRT that was not all that bright to begin with. <laughs> it was off pl- being played from VHS, and it was an old VHS, so added dimness. And the movie, like, brightness is very dim throughout. Oh, yeah. And between the really bad VA, the old VHS and the crappy TV that was quite a ways away, I couldn't see or hear anything. Mm. Yeah, you're doubly screwed because this is film noir. Like, uh-huh. They, there's actually a, a new noir. term for that neo-noir. Neo-noir. That's what yeah. I said earlier. Yeah. And I was just pulling that out of my head. Yeah, this this movie is like one of the things that's so crazy with it is like most movies they there's a lot of dialogue to provide exposition. This one has almost none. Yeah, there is a lot of just watching Harrison Ford walk through rooms, Uh and in the rain, the constant rain. Exceptionally interesting background, though. Oh, yeah, when you oh can see gosh, it. Oh, my gosh, the detail. Yes, test it when you can see it. <laughs> like, uh, like two months later, I, I managed to get a hold of a copy digitally that I could watch on my monitor in my dorm room at night with no lights on, and I was actually able to experience the movie. It was like, oh, wow, that's actually really cool. Oh, my gosh, the whole setup. And I'm ass- we're assuming it was L.A., that that's where yeah. it takes place. Yep. Because they show the Bradbury building, which is a famous building, which is also a... I think a throw over to uh, Ray Bradbury, the, the other sci-fi novelist. It, they also had... Nerdy, nerdy laugh. <laughs> uh, a very Japanese area that appeared to be, you know, that was could have been Tokyo or Little Tokyo in L.A. With Chinatown next, like, just a couple blocks down, which fits L.A. perfectly, which we got to explore that area a few months ago. I was kind of thinking that uh, it was a merging of the Asian and American cultures, kind of like in uh, Firefly or Serenity. That right. Basically, so, they all just kind of merged. Right. So we we were having a hard time figuring out. Well, is this future Tokyo? Is this future L.A.? Is this future? It, it, it was fe- a very it's good. LA, it was a good mesh of the um, cultures. Yeah. Well, well, and the the time period they're in. Yes, this is 2019, only a couple of years from, from now when we're recording this. And their vision of the future from the 80s was, we're off-world. And once you've got people going off-world, then it the relevance of national boundaries doesn't seem all that important. Mm-mm. That's true. So it would make sense that you'd have people moving back and forth. And even if you... Like, we wandered around quite a bit in Little Tokyo. It's not small. No, it is It is several city blocks that you are wandering around, and unfortunately, everything was in English. <laughs> I was a little disappointed. Right, and, and <laughs> there was a lot of things that were in English. There was a lot of stuff that was bilingual, um, 
We wandered into China. names, I noticed, were all bilingual. We also saw mm-hmm. Chinatown and uh, Little Armenia. And uh, they're, little they're Ethiopia. Being, and Little Ethiopia. There's a lot of littles. And there was a... Uh, you ended up getting a d- decent amount of uh, bilingualness in, in signage. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they did a really good job of showing what would happen with future... Like, a future vision of immigration. <laughs> So, Wesley, when did you first watch this movie? Oh, goodness. Uh, late 90s? Oh, a long time ago. Yeah. Um, well, I'm only... Su- I, I say that only because I only first watched the movie maybe two years ago? A year ago? Oh, oh really? When was the last time we watched that movie? A year ago? A year ago. That was the first no, time Oh, actually, ever- it was less than that. Because we watched hmm. it right after Aliens. Because... Yeah, you're right. It was like within yeah. the past year. This is... When we were, before we started the podcast, um, th- this podcast, we were, we'd watched the Alien series and Lauren was really getting in, getting into looking at all the production notes and background stories and everything. And then we we're like, okay, so now we need to do the Predator series. <laughs> so we did that. We'd also done Prometheus and I started finally getting excited about looking into all this stuff and I found... A timeline because you've got Alien, Predator, and then Alien versus Predator, and we did watch those as well. <laughs> oh, excellent! And so, excellently bad. But people excellent. have put these together into a coherent timeline as the Ridley Scott universe, and Blade Runner is part of this universe. Blade Runner was kind of thrown in there, so we're trying to find clues. Like, does the name Tyrell pop up anywhere else, or? anything hmm. i i can't find it well but this is 2017 this is hap- or 2017 to 2019 is when this is happening and you've got prometheus in like 2080s 2090s and then the events in alien one is um the mid to late 22nd century so about 2170 or so it all fits if you look at the universe, the, the way the world works, everything works in Alien. It's these massive corporations that are super powerful running everything. And you get little glimpses of that in Blade Runner. The off-world, the, the call for labor to the off-world mm-hmm. colonies especially. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It's a... a really Scottiverse. It's a super advanced dystopia. I could definitely agree with that. <laughs> it's it's depressing that we, it, it makes perfect sense. Like, not to get too political here, but we're headed down a path where this is all possible. <laughs> Yay, but, aliens! People, think about it. <laughs> this could totally happen in the next three years. I I can see it. I totally want replicants, though. <laughs> Especially a pleasure model. Uh, uh, the uh-huh. one the one thing that that I think doesn't lend to this being related to or alien robotic unicorn is the android in alien that is also later in prometheus and okay when you start looking at prometheus it starts to break things apart because that's happening a lot no later no kidding oh my it's, god the uh, it's all screwed up but the the android a model place in hell for prometheus is supposed I mean, to be the first it's supposed to be like the first uh Passable as human android. 
So that kind of doesn't work with it's the replicants. Perfect system, but well, that's only well. Okay, replicants become banned on Earth. What if they become banned everywhere else, and then they have to start all over? That's possible. Aha, there we go. Only with milky was, white blood. I believe that was Ian Holm that was Ash. Mm-hmm. Uh, was the alien? That sounds about right. Or, sorry, it was the um, the android. Ian android Holm? an alien. He was in that terrible movie we were watching this weekend called Our Harbinger Down. <laughs> God, that was bad. Anyway, we're t- anyway. So the franchise of Blade Runner is loosely based off the Alien universe. We can argue. There has been um, a novel that was released that was based off the script because, like I said, it was quite different from Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. So it kind of deserved its own book. Mm. Uh, there's a comic book that is based off that. Um, which based I off tried. The book or the movie? Uh, let me. I think it's based off the Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, oh. but it follows very closely with Blade Runner. Hmm. Okay. And uh, I saw I saw it in a used bookstore. They had volumes like three, five, and nine. So of course I couldn't read it, but I'm going to try and track it down and read it because it looks pretty good. So we got this this movie. We got all these replicants uh, who found out that they are actually replicants and and they want to extend their lives. They're coming mm-hmm. back. They uh, stowed away a, a, on a ship and got to Earth. Killed twenty three oh, people to do it. They didn't stow away. They stole the ship. <laughs> all right. And well, you've got two. You've got one like soldier slash worker model. One just straight up soldier model. And they're both insanely strong, like, uh, designed plus, to be able to the fight. one that died on the on the on the way getting getting back. There was oh, a, there a, was a two fifth. of them that died in an electrical field on the ship. Mm. Yeah, so we don't know what those were. But there's the pleasure model, the soldier model, two pleasure models, two pleasure models, two soldier That's models, right. and yeah, two soldiers. Not- yeah. And they're all extremely strong, but those soldier models, uh, Leon mm-hmm. and and Roy, Roy. Roy Batty, right? Oh, and Leon Batty. was was designed for both soldier and hard labor. Mm. So yeah, they're basically used as slave labor on the off-world colonies, and anything that can experience emotions, uh, sooner or later, going to want to rise up against that. Which one of the things this this definitely brings up is. At what point, when you are developing technology, does technology deserve rights? Well, certainly when they start to have emotions. <laughs> but what it's if you... It's a little too late for, by that point. But what if you can engineer into them a way to make sure they don't develop those emotions? Because that was the whole point in the four-year lifespan. Because they're kind of born, kind of built, emotion-free, and as they develop the memories and experiences and live life... They knew the odds of them developing emotions was going to come, which is why they put the four-year time span in. That's true, but these guys developed quicker than they were expecting, I guess. Yeah, well, with the 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 pleasure models, some of them two, only two years in. Leon only two years in, and they were already uh, developing emotion. Where is that said? Uh, two years in, Leon. Uh, Said that his date of birth was in 2017. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's, yeah, that's right. That was crazy. So he's only two years in and at least was able to accept that emotion is possible. 
Yeah. And worth fighting for. Yeah. He, uh, he's the first replicant we meet and kind of the big dumb lug of the group. Mm-hmm. But we get to see him being tested with the empathy test. Um, I would fail the empathy test within th- about <laughs> one question. Uh, because <laughs> oh my gosh i'm reading the book there's a scene where a spider is getting its legs torn off by the replicant who feels nothing and i'm bawling my eyes out like trying <laughs> like in the middle of school trying not to show people i'm crying over this spider so that, that actually means you'd pass the test in only one question oh oh yeah <laughs> that's true pass it not fail it uh, but one thing i do want to get back to with this uh with the the development part is they the goal they ended up having in their android development was making them more and more human like and if your goal is to make something more human like like they got to the point where these replicants are basically replicated humans with super strength they are manufactured but they have blood they can think they are capable of developing emotion that's the point where they screwed up in their development goals if you really want something you can exploit as slave labor that won't care you don't make it capable of developing emotion yeah sounds like somebody's uh, experiment gone wrong well that's exactly what it was tyrell wanted he was obviously trying to create something as human-like as possible because he was trying to replace his niece mm-hmm um, Rachel is the replicant that we meet who is uh, Tyrell's personal replicant and she's the one that doesn't even know that she's a replicant because it's so good well still I mean don't forget uh, Tyrell, Tyrell Corporation's uh, logo or slogan more human than human mm-hmm. oh I missed that it's a dangerous goal you know, like we saw it last time with Terminator where you at the point that you start create that you have human like things being created, it's going to go wrong. And I don't it, think it'll always go wrong, but it's definitely a setup for uh huh. In sci fi, at least, it will always go wrong. Uh, but the, then the cyborg rights thing also, um, like there was there was the and I, I definitely considered this for the bad, but I don't think it is because. This movie, one of the big things it pushes is, or at least presents, is a whole bunch of ethical questions. Like, that's why it was, we watched it for an ethics class. Hmm. Yeah. When he raped Rachel, when Decker raped Rachel, was it rape? Well. She wasn't human. Yeah, in the modern day definition of rape that was definitely rape because he was telling her to consent um i think back in the 80s that probably would have been considered still consensual because she ended up loving him anyway i think in the 80s it would have been more it would have been less bad i I think in the 80s it would have been that she wasn't human so it didn't matter i can see that that's what they're trying to portray in the 80s i don't think they would have really considered it rape so much yeah i think the definition of rape has changed over the years um but yeah it was like is is it okay to rape a robot oh yes 
but for for rape to have any meaning, there has to be well the the, 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 con- the concept the definition of definition of consensual has changed has changed over time though right but at, at least in this weird sense but to yeah. determine if rape is even possible there still has can, the consent no matter what it means currently um you can let that whatever that meaning is at the time is still works because if something is incapable of granting consent ever like and shouldn't be capable of it like a labor robot but then, okay, we have animals that all humans, virtually all humans have, have determined are incapable of consent, therefore completely unacceptable. Except for sheep. Including sheep. Oh, well, the Scottish are going to be mad about that. Oh, that's funny. No, that's not. <laughs> so, it's the Welsh. I mean, you're, it's the you're taking advantage of animals and replicants in this case, you know, to do work for you, slave work, really. But but uh, go where, off, fight your wars, go off, fight your or work your work your fields, uh, work your fields, push your vacuum, uh, have sex, you know, pleasure robots, pleasure robots. So at what point can if a pleasure robot develops the ability to choose yes or no, is that going to still be considered rape? Well, if, uh, I I think that that fits into a line like you have a continuum. On one end, you have what is obviously a and parents if you have children listening with you and you haven't paused yet um (laughs) go ahead and skip ahead unless you want to have this conversation um but you have vibrators on one end that is mechanical and incapable of consent and incapable of even being considered as to whether or not that should be a concern it is designed for a purpose and used for that purpose there's a motor and no mind and as yeah. things are developing, like in China, they have, uh, in, I think it was for sperm banks, they have machines that are capable of, of collecting the sperm. Yeah. Oh, the Uncanny Valley. Yeah, they're not getting anywhere near to that point oh, yet. okay. Because I've seen some creepy... But there are sex toys things, at this point <laughs> that, are, some- that are starting to hit the market that are USB controlled. So you can plug it into your computer and That's run a brilliant. program to control it. Well, there's ones that are wireless, and, and your partner can control them over the internet. Mm-hmm. That's just um, mean. I can see that going bad. But where this is going is, you know, we're moving steps down the line where it's not just a motor that you turn on or off. It's getting to the point where there's more intricate involvement. Yes, it is software controlling that motor. Reaction. And in a few years, we'll reach the point where that software is acting with artificial intelligence, and nobody is going to have any problem if it's something that it's your person, your your PC controlling it. Nobody would consider consider that to be an issue. Then you get to sex dolls, and you start adding some of that into them, robotics into those. At what point does it cross that line? <laughs> Some people would argue that as soon as any kind of intelligence does enter the equation, that that's, that's the end of it. Um, there are some people who claim that as long as it is programmed to be okay with it, then it's fine. 
And we'll have to figure that out in the future. <laughs> we should have had Mikey Pullman for this. He was a he. He loves talking about now, this stuff. I have a, a a pretty simple position on it. As soon as it is capable of saying when it when it comes to technology, because there's something different between bio, biological versus mechanical. If it is mechanical, as soon as it is capable of saying no, then. It's it deserves rights, including the right to consent, uh, including labor bots. Yeah, if they can say no, as soon as one says no, that entire generation of devices, I think, deserve rights. And that's why you never teach it the word no. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to anything, like a toddler, you just put it off for as long as you can. When it yeah. comes to anything biological, you have a very different standard where affirmative consent is required for everything and being capable of actually granting that. So instead of the ability to say no, it has to have the ability to say yes. And actually know what yes means. Oh, okay. Stick with the Hitachi. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Best thing ever. And, and, the, the, I, and I do think the same applies to labor. Um, if you have something that can say, no, I don't want to do this, and you're forcing it to do it, that is that is wrong. And we've been through Star Trek, and we know that every, the universal rule, the whole moral of the story is be nice to Data. <laughs> so, you and I, we've learned that. We've been mm-hmm. through this before. <laughs> For those of you who haven't watched the entire series of Next Generation, and by the end you'll be you'll be up to date. Up to data. Up to data. <laughs> oh, no, that's horrible. Oh, <laughs> uh, another interesting aspect that they um, gave these replicants was the uh, pairing off with uh, animals. Now, in the universe that this is based off of the Android's dream of electric sheep, the whole purpose of having an electric sheep was to show um, that you were rich, basically. So, a sheep was a very mid-level you know it's 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 a good animal to have it didn't show that you were overly wealthy but you weren't poor uh and as the animals become more complicated the richer and richer you get and so that's kind of the basis for that whole thing they didn't really go into that in the movie but they did pair everyone out up with uh with some animal and they mentioned in the movie several times that they're all fake they're android animals Mm -hmm. yeah because people can't afford real animals yeah, and see, this I totally missed this. Um, Wesley hmm. was the one that picked this up. Yeah, I I wasn't really noticing it either. And then, oh. then when I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, duh! I mean, Roy Batty was actually holding a dove uh, during the last scene. Pris actually like painted herself like a raccoon. Uh, Rachel, she just has an owl around her all the time. Uh, Leon... Well, we don't really get to talk about his too much, but it's in the uh, Void Comp test with the turtle. Mm-hmm. Turtles uh, and tortoises. Zora with the snake that she actually performs with. Uh, and possibly Deckard with a unicorn. Uh, so, so Deckard might be a replicant. Yeah. So I uh, was arguing Deckard. with Wesley earlier that I thought Rachel was the unicorn. That Deckard was seeing Rachel as something pure, um, perfect, uh, unicorns often represent virginity. Um, but then he mentioned, you brought up that Deckard well, 
might actually be a replicant and what would his animal be and he's the one that actually the unicorn keeps corresponding with yeah deckard has the dreams about a unicorn and you know while awake what yeah well Waiting. yeah um there's there's a uh character pr- played by J- um, james edward almost called gaff he's another blade runner we love gaff gaff I is gaff. cool but he's kind of messed up um <laughs> He has this thing for for uh, making little origami or little paper statues. Yeah, he makes and, these symbols to and subliminally let Deckard know his thoughts. And he he made one of a unicorn that le- and he left it right outside Deckard's apartment. And how would Gaff know to make a unicorn uh, a little statue if he didn't already know that Deckard was one a un- was one a replicant and two. You know, maybe Deckard just got activated a few days ago, and and they they knew his programming. He left the the unicorn origami outside of Deckard's apartment while Rachel was inside. After it's implied that he had gone in, seen she was there, and decided to let her live. Right, very, but, the, but there's deep. only one tie to a unicorn, and that's in Deckard's own dream. It's true. Those are the only two times that the unicorn shows up. And Rachel already has her animal, which is definitely the owl. Well, they did a little bit with that where the light was shining in her eyes. Which well, is the so light creepy. shines in all of the replicants' eyes. and, and It shows most, mostly in Rachel and Pris. But with Rachel, when it shines in her eyes, it's her eye reflects the same way they very distinctively showed with an owl. Uh, what they showed is a reflection that that uh, happens with a, another replicant which is an owl right yes because the owl is also a replicant and whenever they when it, they they had every replicant in that movie have that same reflection in their eyes when they whenever they had a chance which i wonder if they did that in post or if they actually wore contacts i think they just put a a off-center light to shine in their eyes a little bit oh that would be annoying <laughs> it would be. But uh, yeah. Roy Batty definitely had that. Leon had it a couple mm-hmm. little times. Uh, oh, Zara yeah, and Roy's scene with the dove was just epic. Oh, yeah. Um, Roy fighting off death yeah, by pushing that that, that stake through his, his mm-hmm. hole. Uh, Oof. Roy, okay, so for somebody who uh, at first appears to have absolutely no emotion, Roy is by far the most emotional character. He was also the most developed. He was at the end of his four years. He was amazing. He was glorious. He expired at the end of the movie. Decker yeah. didn't kill him. Oh, no. Yeah, no, he, he ran out. Which I think this would be a good place to play the bit where Roy actually runs out of time. Oh, yeah, yeah, we have a clip. Quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? That's what it is to be a slave. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. (laughs) Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like 
tears. Yeah, so it's a very, very moving piece. We get to see him slowly pass away, and Deckard was... Man, he got away out of the skin of his teeth. When Roy slowly passes away, he releases a dove. Yes. That for some reason he is holding in his hands. And it's this perfect white dove. Yeah, there was pigeons and stuff around, but he found this white one and it flew away. His little android soul flying away. Into the dirty nothingness. <laughs> but um, the guy who played Roy Batty, uh, Rutger Hauer, Rutger. apparently, yeah. Rutger, sorry, Rutger Hauer, uh, this piece, this that part was specifically written for him in the script. <laughs> they were thinking of, of, of him when they wrote the character out. And even Philip K. Dick got to see some of his scenes um, mm. before, you know, he passed away. He got to see a little bit of the making of the movie and said, yes, this is... He's perfect. Oh. He's cold. He's Aryan, and he, he's perfect. He was a James Bond henchman. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he was during the Roger Moore era. Oh, that era that I don't pay attention to. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the eighties. Yeah, that actually, that's actually my favorite part of James Bond because it gets so ridiculous. <laughs> okay, so what is our determination then? Is Rachel an owl, or is she the unicorn? I. I am completely saying she's an owl you know what i can go either way i think that i think the owl better represents tyrell even though he wasn't a replicant um i think she's more but i think she's a unicorn but we can agree to disagree (laughs) especially since the question of whether or not deckard is a replicant is up for mm, well let's debate that one now well yeah well let's start with ridley scott Ridley um, Scott, the director. Okay. No, let's start in the movie. <laughs> in the movie, there is no sign that Deckard is anything but human. Eh, wrong. Oh, wrong. damn. Look Twice. at all those pictures on the piano. So many pictures. Uh, replicants are obsessed with pictures and their history. Good point. Okay. And I saw two times. There was in the beginning when he goes to Tyrell Corporation and... He asks if, for getting the negative on the the empathy test, were they wanting him? And they just go ahead and move right on past that, and he and they have him uh, do the test on Rachel. And then later, when Rachel's in his apartment, after he's passed out drunk, he wakes back up, she's playing the piano, he sits down next to her, and she asks him if he's ever done the test. Yeah. So He never answered. So, let's see here. Now, they did mention he did have a history with the department as a Blade Runner. And that he was uh, coming out they, of a... They implied. They implied, right. They, they implied, didn't say. Yeah. Well, yeah. The they guy implied. said that he was I, the best. I need the old Blade deck, uh, the old Blade Runner magic. So, I, it's, I, but I, it's possible that his career only lasted a year. They also pushed, pointed at the... And Rachel was asking these questions again with um, what happens if you get a false positive and you end up killing a human? Oh, yeah. Have you ever retired a human by accident? And Decker didn't respond. He showed a general lack of empathy. Either he is a human psychopath or a replicant. 
And it would make sense that to hunt down replicants, you would create replicants that are incapable of emotion to be able to go and dispassionately identify replicants and retire them. Until he lasts long enough that he starts to feel emotion. Uh Uh-huh. Which only actually seemed to happen at the very end. The right combination of events. Because for the other replicants, the, the four he was hunting down... They only started, as far as we can tell, only started feeling emotion after a rebellion started. Hmm. Well, I'm not really sure if it started before or during the rebellion. You know, Leon, uh, well, Roy Batty made a big point to ask Leon in the movie, were you able to go back and get your pictures? Because he knows he knew that Leon loved those pictures. Leon's saying, no, they were two uh, Blade Runners in my apartment. Yeah, two men in my apartment. So, uh, yeah, and all those all those pictures of an old old um, like family photos, really that, old. Yeah, yeah really were, old. There were so some that would be perfect for in filling in like a a past. Yeah, and Rachel with her her love of that picture of her and her mom on the porch, and which was actually you know Tyrell's niece, and okay, uh, they they so, love. Giving. That and then Ridley Scott. Yeah, Ridley Scott, the you know the uh, the the director definitely of this movie. Yeah, he's he always went into this saying that Deckard was definitely a replicant. However, uh, Harrison Ford, the you know the guy who actually played Deckard, said he always played Deckard as a human. So, which works for this kind of movie. And the lines throughout the movie gets so blurred as to playing a replicant and playing a human well i would say that there really shouldn't be a a line i would say that these replicants are basically as human as we are exactly it's um they they showed it subtly in uh rachel's makeup she goes from very pale skin and bright red lipstick to more natural colors and don't Uh, forget how when she took her her perfectly well coiffed straight hair and then took it out and was it got messy curly and curly magically um, magic i know i in <laughs> fact in that scene i even turned and told dustin he's like the hair wouldn't fall down like that uh-uh. but we're not going to be nitpicky it was good for it. its emotional oh what purpose. what i was thinking while that was happening is okay where's the the hair person behind her helping <laughs> fluff it up Fluff it, because it didn't it. look like she could have possibly Hairspray been doing it. all of that by herself. But oh, there wasn't Lord. quite room for somebody to be hiding behind her. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's go into a little bit more of the production. All right. So apparently the lead actor was meant to be Dustin Hoffman. That they, sounds they horrible. They worked with him for months. And uh, that fell through. Good. Different Differences of vision. And uh, Ridley Scott had heard that Harrison Ford was just coming off of Indiana Jones. He was highly successful in Star Wars. um, And he was interested in doing it. So they had to make a few changes, a few script changes. Uh, Harrison Ford at first refused to do the narration, the voiceover narration. He said, no, that's not going to happen. I'll act it out. (laughs) Um, We don't need narration. And there was only, what, four or five bits of narration? I'm sure that... There would have been a lot more if he had been more. Uh-huh. 
but he he describes it as they they dragged him kicking and screaming into the studio to do the voiceover <laughs> um so this is it's an interesting combination of ridley scott's vision and then what harrison ford puts in when he once he got involved from what i can tell though also harrison ford hates doing sci-fi in general well hmm. he's been a he, bit typecasty yeah but this was only his uh he well at he, that point but he had done less than half a dozen movies at this point but at that point he probably was trying to avoid the typecasting from star wars yes yeah the sci-fi type indiana yeah. jones was kind of a fun little fantasy thing but still the heroic uh anti-hero heroic and a bit of magic of magic in there you pretty much don't say no to steven spielberg though yeah you pretty much don't yeah. and apparently you don't say no to ridley scott either but <laughs> dustin hoffman would not have i don't think would have been able to pull it off but we may have been surprised um the the when they were writing the piece for uh deckard they actually had in mind um a famous uh actor from the 30s and 40s i believe Hmm. Um, he was really famous for his film noir, so which fits perfectly with the movie because it's so film noir. Yeah, yeah. His name was Mitchum. Oh, um, he was in. Oh God. Um, oh, what was he in? I can't remember what he was in, but a bunch of movies I never heard of. <laughs> but no, when you think of like the sleuth in the dark alleyway with the light shining over his eyes, just you know that. That was this guy. Um, he pretty much created that, that te- uh, not that technique, but that um, imagery. So when uh, they wrote the script, they, that was what they had envisioned as the lead character. And they said that Harrison Ford did a really good job of portraying that. I'm betting that was Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum. And yeah, he did Cape Fear and a few other amazing movies. Which I obviously need to see because I was not familiar with him, so... That I mean, stupid. that was one of his, like, late, late ones. But, yeah, he did a lot in the 50s. Yeah, they really wanted to uh, to capture that film noir. And I think they did a great job with the neon lights. Oh, my gosh. It was great. <laughs> and the uh, product placement was pretty cool, too. I think the product placement was, like, one of those just little Easter eggy things where at first it seems, okay, this is a little ridiculous. But when you realize the relationship between corporations and the overall governing of this world, mm-hmm. it becomes a lot more important to notice that there is so much product placement. But I mean, we saw you know, this isn't a different world or anything. I, I would expect it's our world. It's the future. I would expect there to be Kitchen Aids and Coca Cola, Cusinart, Cos. Oh, a lot. There was tons. Not to mention any Japanese ones that they threw in there that we couldn't read. Totally. I mean, this is yeah. a lived-in world. It It's not a sanitized world by any stretch. No. And the, the way they were doing a lot of the product placement with the billboards covering the sides of buildings was very much like very, the... Very uh, Asian-inspired. Yeah. It, it, was, it was Tokyo. Yeah. In L.A., and the what, what I thought was the most interesting was the blimp floating over uh, the city, like almost between buildings, blaring out a message, yeah, both a with a visual sign basically. and audio saying, yeah. come to the off world, <laughs> go work. Go work for us in the off, off world. It'll be great. 
It's like, really? Then why are you using robots? Because it sounds <laughs> like it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's just in that that whole the the the, the corporate power fits with the alien tie-in if that is genuinely there because with alien by the time you get to to that point one corporation runs almost everything yeah all especially at least all the off-world stuff which you know maybe that's where we're heading well it'll be interesting to think about movie to to watch for that Um, okay, well, let's go to the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, the good and the bad, anyway. Um, what was, uh, what was your favorite, Dustin? Oh, man, my favorite is the way that they show the, they show you the story instead of telling you the story. And they did a really good job with, like, character development wasn't something that happened in the first 15 minutes of the movie. It was something that happened continuously throughout. Yeah, up to the very, very end, basically. And so, like, there's an angle you could look at with it where the whole thing was character development. And it was it was beautifully done. How about you, Wesley? Hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what Tessin just said, totally, for sure. Uh, I would add that uh, I really liked... Hmm. They the the film trusted you to make your own thoughts and opinions. It it really didn't uh, lead you down the path of like this is what you have to think. This is how you have to feel about uh, this. The, yeah, these characters are good. These characters are bad. No, things changed over time, and you know, like Decker, we're still freaking debating it. You know, thirty years later or something. You know, That's this, awesome. This is something that yeah, if you have a brain, you can talk about it. <laughs> um mm-hmm. wh- one of the good things that i th- saw was the fact that philip k dick did give his blessing for this movie the fact that he saw some of the uh some of the early screen screenings of it and said yeah that is my world you guys visually you captured what i was imagining in my mind and that is so good to hear from the novelist of the person you know the novelist that the movie was based on because so often it goes so far off the book but you don't know if the original author would like this or not. <laughs> I really like that. I also love the attention to detail that Ridley Scott does for the background. Oh my gosh! Oh, the people, um, the the trash, the the lights, the, the umbrellas, the umbrellas. The fact I that mean, they all had it, light lighted umbrellas. Oh, half well, of them. There, did. there was two styles. There was the yeah. like the the little Japanese Asian uh, little parasols, and then. If you weren't carrying one of those, you were carrying one of the little neon lit uh, mm-hmm. umbrellas. Which I totally want. Yeah, they sell them. Lightsaber umbrella. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, All right, so one, how about the bad? Put a link to that in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Serious, the most well, amazing. I'll go first again on the bad, because it's actually the same thing as my good. Oh. <laughs> they didn't tell the story. So they left so much up to your imagination to fill in the, and no, it's not bad storytelling. Lauren's typing this into the notes. Okay, well, I'm listening. <laughs> they didn't tell the story, so it's all up to you to come to your own conclusions, as opposed to all of the gaps being filled in explicitly. The lack of exposition, 
made it harder to follow certain scenes because it's all happening in front of you. You have to watch it. And if you miss a detail, you've missed half of it. Like, if you looked away and yeah. looked back, which I was doing constantly. So it's it's a it's terrible ADD, like movie crazy. for anybody with ADD because <laughs> it requires full focus and it is it's slow. All right. Wesley, what about you? Oh boy. You hmm. you brought up two good points. There is seven dang versions of this movie. And I've watched at least three, maybe four of them over the years. I can't really quite tell you what the differences are between all of them, except for the like the last few seconds on the director's cut. That's definitely added. Oh um, my gosh, I just remembered that. There's a scene where they're driving away, right? Yeah. And they totally that, cut that from the version that we watched. Hmm. Yep, that's not in the director's cut. Okay. Um. So, you know... <sighs> Like, which version is the real version? Like, will, yeah, will the honest- real Blade Runner please stand up? <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds to me. Well, it sounds to me like there's theatrical and director's cut, but another five in between. Come on. Yeah, he made a special cut for a showing at a theater that like showed once, maybe. <laughs> uh, but you know, there's still four other versions out there. Wow. Uh, Go with over, the director's cut. Years. Don't worry about the theatrical release. That but little extra extended, bit is, there's is a worth director's. it. Yeah. And yeah, that that that's my my low is like just tell me which which one do you want me to watch? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um you brought up a good point about the computers too. Mm. I love the the weird technology. <laughs> there's, a, a question there's a mark quote, computer and you fed it a an image and then the, the standard trope of enhance 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 pan left enhance and you can see a, a freckle on a butt cheek from a quarter mile away in a, in a picture that you know just doesn't have this sort of resolution okay this was also my low point the fact that you just got to it first like oh, no. totally i'm like oh my god he saw that too okay because not only not only did this thing just enhance a flat object but it also gave a three-dimensional perspective so he was actually able to turn the photograph somehow and see it from a different angle yeah i think what? that was a reflection on a pot or something there was a reflection on the pot that showed a girl yeah with her tattoo the yeah. photo he printed off was that same girl from a different perspective. Yeah, it was Zara. The, mm-hmm. the right. So in the original photograph, in the reflection, it would have just shown her looking off to the side, while the photograph that he prints off actually shows her straight on her face straight on. And I'm like, what? You can't do that. Well, and I even saw that happening earlier. Broke physics. When they, they zoomed in <laughs> into the reflection. And you could see an arm, and it was going around... Right, it was just object. an arm and this weird something that he had had uh, zoomed in on. And then all of a sudden, he moves to the left, and there's something that was not there while it was zooming in. That was her <laughs> face. Yeah, what? Can't do that, you fake that. And it definitely looked like they were rotating. Yeah. So that was my low point. I thought that was hilarious. 
it's always hard with these sci-fi movies to not judge it based on the technology that they're showing to be future technology because i mean we did that with aliens <laughs> it was like oh wow really are we doing cardboard cutouts still for data input <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it was you know, pretty it, that there, computer there's something, there's something between the the really you know clean uh sci-fi worlds and the lived-in worlds like this or alien that i really appreciate really like oh though. it's like it's like how much uh, it would be like trying to send literally the cheapest thing you can which would be like older technology in order to save money on fuel or like the, the live the life situation food that kind of thing yeah and that's kind of believable there's versus the star trek universe that they just rebooted where it looks like a freaking imac threw up all over the bridge <laughs> yeah it's it, so white yeah. and clean and glassy that's like well this is actually where we're seemingly to be leaning towards but for movies like this where it's dark and dirty it's like, yeah no that mm-hmm. wouldn't work you know people have dirt under, under their fingernails you know it, it's live i keep saying it lived in it, it just mm-hmm. feels homey it feels earthy gives it a realism i think it's kind of dirty but well yeah i I get that don't get me wrong i love star trek but it it is overly clean yes yes it is a bit until they get into a fight (laughs) and rip a shirt the rip is always so clean too (laughs) somebody took a razor blade to his shirt yes yes exactly nice pair of sharp scissors fabric scissors (laughs) anyway um, thank you uh, for adding the link to those umbrellas into the show notes <laughs> um, for anybody who's interested in owning Blade Runner hey, come umbrellas. on, it's cheap. It's like 23 bucks. Yeah, hmm. You'll pay 20 bucks for an umbrella anyway. Go for one that has lights. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Very nice. Um, um, that's the uh, basically the wrap up. Yeah. Wesley, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. This has been fun. Yeah. Yeah, and for everybody else, um, we will hopefully have another one out in December. I'm Sweet. trying to convince Dustin to do uh, Santa Claus versus the Martians. Oh, that is classic. It is. That could work for a, a, a short. It'll be a short one. But one thing we've we've talked about doing is having the occasional short where we watch the Riff Tracks version. Run the we're riff, watching the Riff Tracks. Where of we're course more, we're watching the Riff Tracks version. But shorts were more likely to go off topic slightly into not quite necessarily sci-fi. Yeah. Um, They'll be more lighthearted usually. And that's also likely where we'll be handling things like feedback. Yes, feedback would be great. Mm. We, we got one piece that was posted on my personal Facebook wall. Aw. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Celia. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right, well... I'll All talk right. to you guys later. Yeah. All right. Bye. All Bye. right. I guess you're through, huh? Finish. It's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? You can visit us on the web at scifinomads.com. Email us at contact at scifinomads.com. Tweet us at Sci-Fi Nomads, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash sci-fi nomads. In each case, it's spelled S-C-I-F-I-N-O-M-A-D-S. No spaces and no hyphens. Theme music in this episode is Urban Jungle 2061 
by Eric Matias, www.soundimage.org.